0: Let me just tell you a little bit about this book I hold in my hand. Can I say a little bit about it? I think a lot of people are confused about what this book is about. What I mean by that is is that this book is more like us than we could ever imagine or hope. You know, in your own life, in your own heart, over the course of a lifetime, You experience all kinds of things in life, right? You experience fear, animosity, you struggle, uh, you have doubts, you have questions, you have strength, you have faith, you have hope, bitterness, all those kinds of things. But I want you to know that's what this book's all about. We, We say that this book is about God, it is, but it's also about us. And the beautiful thing about this book is if you pick it up, you will find every human emotion and experience captured in this book. I love the honesty of this book. You read a psalm, and the psalm will go, God, where are you? I don't see you. You're not near me. I don't understand you. You prosper the wicked. And I'm left all alone here, and I've been abandoned. Then you turn to another one, and... It says, God, you're with me. You're always with me. You never abandon me. You lift me up. You prosper me because of the good things I do. Then you read the book of Jonah, and Jonah's all about God being forgiving and merciful, and Jonah's so upset and angry that God would forgive people that are his enemies, that he would just rather die than see God forgive people that he hates. It's filled with every human emotion, loneliness, fear, anxiety, hope, all those things are in this book. And when you read this book, you also find out that it's written by a whole lot of different people over a very, very long period of time, over hundreds of years. And sometimes in the book, you find people who have different ideas about who God is and what God is like based on their experiences. But the one thing you find out when you start reading this book is that this book makes one thing clear. That in the midst of all of human life and and who we are as people, is we can be honest with God and we can trust God. We may not know all the answers. We may only have questions. We may experience suffering. We may be weak. We may be troubled. But in the absence of answers, we trust And that there's something greater than belief, it is trust. Belief doesn't really require anything of you. You can believe and it doesn't change how you live. But trust, trust is something different. Trust requires that you say, you know, I don't have all the answers, Lord, but I know that you're good. And I believe you. And when you read this book, that's what you find from beginning to end a variety of human experiences. In the end, it says, God is trustworthy. And the reason people are able to say God is trustworthy is because they trusted God. You trust God to find out God is trustworthy. And you'll never know if God is trustworthy or not unless you just trust God. How do you get to know God? By not by believing in Him. You get to know God by trusting Him. So so yesterday I was I was um, down at Seneca Park and I've got a little running injury so I'm not able to do my regular runs with my buddies and so I was doing some walking and at the end of the run I was just beat and couldn't run anymore and I was right next to this beautiful church I didn't even know it was a Catholic church it's the Church of the Holy Spirit there on Lexington Avenue I was at the end of my run and just tired and sweaty and I wonder was this I stopped running I had to walk and I was waiting I knew I was going to be waiting an hour for everybody else. So I walk into this building. Oh, I said, is the door open? It's open. I walk in and find out it's a Catholic church, and guess what? I walked in the door at the, be- the beginning of Mass. <laughs> and I walk in at the beginning of Mass. The priest is walking in. I think, I'm at the beginning of Mass. So I just went in and s- sat down, covered in sweat, and-, and I noticed this guy sitting over here. He is probably late 80s, bent over, a wisp of hair on the top of his head, very frail, very thin. He's bent over, he's praying. And I'm thinking about him. And then he gets up, and I notice something. He's wearing short sleeves, and out of his sleeve, falls some tubing, clear tubing. He has a port in his chest. And the tubing is where they hook him up to his chemo. I thought to myself, there's a guy who understands that your beliefs will only take you so far, but it's ultimately your trust. That I thought to myself, you know, when you're in your 80s and you're sitting in a Catholic church on a Saturday morning and you're hooked up to tubing and you're probably going Monday for chemotherapy and you're sitting there, there's one thing you could probably tell other people, that God, I don't have all the answers, but God is trustworthy. We're we're walking through the Gospel of John and I have to tell you, I absolutely, I absolutely have had my mind expanded greatly about what John's about because I learned something this week I'd never known before about John. That's what I want to share with you this morning. John chapter 6, we're walking through John. John chapter 6, this amazing thing happens where Jesus, he takes two fish, five loaves of bread, and feeds 5,000 people. Great miracle. Everybody's satisfied. After he feeds everyone, he begins this extended section of teaching. And it was, it's, honestly, it's, it's so hard to read. I've never preached on it. I just kind of skip over it because it, I don't, it's confusing. I mean, he says some stuff that you, you sort of underlined. I like that verse. I don't like that, but I don't get that. I don't understand it. It's confusing. Well, I, it's good to know that I'm not the only one confused by what he's saying because when you read on at the end of the chapter, the disciples don't get it either. In verse 60 of chapter 6, what happens is, it says that those who were following Jesus were, were troubled by what he said. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. And those who understood it didn't like it. And the crowds had turned. There's just all this confusion and trouble and all this kind of stuff. And it says at the beginning of chapter 6, verse 60, it says that many of his disciples at that moment in the gospel turned away from him, left him, abandoned him, fled him. They don't get it. They don't understand. Now, it's bad enough that the, the people he fed are angry with him in this chapter bad enough that the religious people are trying to kill him. Now Jesus suffers the indignity of those who are following him, leave him and abandon him. In cha- I mean, we got like 14 chapters to go, everybody, the crowds are getting smaller. And then he looks at Peter, and he says to Peter, so are you going to leave me too? What about you? Peter says this, Lord, where would we go? It's an interesting comment. When you first read that, you think like Peter, maybe Peter doesn't have a place to go. Maybe his wife doesn't want him at home. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Um, Maybe Peter's homeless. I don't know. That's not what it means. What it means is, where would we go to get what you give? Where do we go to find out what you have? And then Peter makes this remarkable statement. He says, where would we go? There's no place else to go because you have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. Now, let me just put that in context a little bit for you. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if you read all four of the Gospels, in every one of the Gospels, there's a, there's a pivotal moment involving Peter where Peter makes a confession of faith. and the other ones, Jesus looks and says, who am I to you? And Peter says, you are the Son of God, the living Christ. And Jesus says, you got that right, I'll call you Peter. That's in Matthew, Mark, Luke. But in John, in John, This is the confession moment in John. Everybody's leaving him, and he looks at Peter, and Peter says, we have come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. Let me tell you what that means. Boy, I'm going to dig this out, and you're going to take away something that is rich, deep, full. It's going to fill you full. This is basically what it means. You know what? We don't quite get what you're doing. And when we do understand what you're telling us, we're not so sure we like it. But we're just going to keep following you anyway. Because we've learned that we can trust you. Remember the word trust? Old guy sitting in the pew, chemo, port, Bible. All these, trust, trust. So I'm reading this book. Just finished it, Dr. Peter Enns, he wrote a book called The Sin of Certainty. And Dr. Enns wrote this book called The Sin of Certainty after he was fired as a professor at a seminary. And it was because the seminary, um, because he started asking questions and writing about things that went against the the beliefs of the seminary. And Dr. Enns began to say that, that, and believe and teach that faith, that real faith, is not about having all the answers, but it's the willingness to answer the questions, to live in the face of mystery, to embrace mystery, to trust and not believe. He basically began to teach that it's not about beliefs, it's about trust. So he wrote this book about a personal crisis that he endured in his family, and about a crisis he endured when he was fired from the seminary that he was teaching. And he basically said the real sin is certainty, Believing that you have God all figured out when God can't all be figured out. It's about trust. So he then said this thing. He said this thing that blew my mind. He said that when you read the Gospel of John, every time you read the word belief, you should change it with the word trust. Because the word belief, the word belief in John is translated incorrectly. Let me show you what it means. This is the word in Greek. Pistis. Every time you read John's gospel, every, every time you read John's gospel, and you see the word believe, believeth, believing, this word is there, pistis. For some reason or other, he says, it has been translated in the English to be belief. And he says that really, when you read the Bible, it really does not convey what the author is trying to say. So when Peter says... We have come to believe. That's not what Peter said. Peter said, we have come to have faith. We have come to trust. We have come to obey you. You see, belief doesn't require you to give anything of yourself. But whereas, trust means that you are living in the face of mystery. It means you're you're living in a way that you're depending upon something. It's an orientation, a way of looking at life. You can believe all kinds of things and still be the mean old person that you are. So think about it. In the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this word belief or pistis is only used 40 times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In John, 90 times he uses this word. And if you see the word belief and you read belief every time, you're not going to understand what John's all about. You're going to think, For God so loved the world that whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. You see, the way we read that, because we grew up here in the United States and we're part of the Bible Belt, I'm not dismissing that way of thinking. But what that essentially means is, so if you believe, if you say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, that when you die, you go to heaven. You think that's what that means. Now, that is a very superficial understanding of what he's saying. But take that word belief out and put the word trust, and look how it changes. For those, for God so loved the world that those who trust in him, those who have faith in him, meaning those who have oriented their lives to him and to his teachings, will experience eternal life. Those who obey him will have life. changes the way you read it. And so what it does is it it just makes the gospel of John pop. When you change all those 90 words to faith, trust, obey. So look at the end of John's gospel. At the end of John's gospel, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. This is John at the end of the book telling us why he wrote the book. But I wrote all these things down so that you would come to trust. In the face of uncertainty, mystery, and all these things, come to trust that Jesus is the Messiah. He's saying, as you trust Him, you learn who He is. You don't learn who He is by believing in Him. You learn who He is by trusting Him. And the more you trust Him, you learn He's trustworthy. You got it? The more you trust Him, the more you learn you can trust Him. And the more you trust Him, the more you learn He's trustworthy. And then you come to know Him. So... I wrote all these things so that you would begin to trust him, so that you would learn that Jesus is the Messiah, that the whole book about trust points to him as the embodiment of what God is like, and that through trusting you may have life. Now let me point out that word. That word there, there are three words in the Greek for life. Bios, biological life. Psych, which is psychological life, soul, mind, and that sort of thing. Biological life, soul life, and the third Greek word, which is always used in John for life, which is the word zoe. You know what zoe is? Zoe is the salsa on your chips. Bios is the chips. Salsa is the zoe, okay? It's what brings. Zoe is the cinnamon and hot butter and marshmallows on your sweet potato, okay? (laughs) It's life, it's full life. What Zoe life is, not just biological thinking, breathing life. It's what happens when you begin to trust God, that God fills your life and animates your life. So when John says, those who are born from above are born from the Spirit, that Jesus is Spirit and life, he fills your heart and life with his Spirit and animates your existence, this waking, living existence. So you go back now. And look at what Peter says. So Pime and Peter answered, Lord, to who can we go? Your words are like salsa. Your words are like cinnamon and hot butter and marshmallows on my life having fun with that, but obviously what it means is, is I'm hungry. I'm really hungry, you know. I could use one of those right now. Uh, we're not having a discovery in the Middletown. We'll have saws if we have chips if you're coming. But, but he's saying if you really want life, you don't have to wait until you die to live. And it's not just believing. It's about trusting. And we have come to believe. We have come to trust and know. That's why these other disciples turn away from him. They turn away from him and people begin to flee him because he begins to say, I'm not here just to give you food for your belly. I am the bread of life and and you're spending your time trying to get things that are not gonna satisfy you. He said, I am the bread of life and you taste me and you will never go hungry. You taste me and you will have life. And you begin to put my words into practice and live my words and follow my teaching. If you move from just being consumers to taking me into your life and begin to trust me with your life in a way that begins to change the way that you live. I heard an elder say that today at the table, Sherry. When we begin to live what you teach, that's what he's saying. This, this life is about following me, not about just believing. And so it was so hard for them to understand because he says, you know, drink my blood, eat my flesh. He said, I'm all in. I'm all in for you. And one day I'm going to be up on the cross and you're going to look and you're going to understand what the glory of God is when you see it in me that I was willing to suffer. That's how invested I am in you, that my body is going to be ripped and my blood poured out for you. You can trust me. And that's when everybody goes, ah, yeah, I was okay when you were just like bringing lunch. But this dying, I don't know, I believe in okay, so we're going to flee. So Peter says, you know what? I don't understand. What I do understand is kind of challenging, but we're not going anywhere. We've come to know that we are just going to keep trusting you. So, so uh, Mother, Mother Teresa in Calcutta, this priest went to visit her. His name was John Cavanaugh in the 70s, and John Cavanaugh uh, went up to Mother Teresa. He was working with her for three months and said, Mother Teresa, I need you to pray for me. I came here because I'm having a crisis of faith. And she said, well, how can I pray for you? What is your prayer? And Kavanaugh said that I would have clarity. And Mother Teresa looked at him and said, I can't pray that for you because I don't have it. But what I do have is trust. And I will pray that you will trust. So, so I'm sitting in that sanctuary there on Lexington Avenue. You know, I call it the accidental mass. <laughs> and I'm looking at this dude, this older dude, wisp of hair, and I see him get up. And Well, before he gets up, let me tell you what I was thinking about. I was thinking, here I am in a a Catholic church and Saturday morning and I got a lot on my mind and I just wanted to pray and I started looking around and I thought, I wonder who in this room, I just, I like to do out of the ordinary things, you know, like I was thinking about going to confession or something, I I was like, what could I do, you know, to have some interaction. So I thought, well, maybe I could find somebody in this room to pray for me. I need prayer. So I saw that guy, I picked him out of the whole crowd. And I thought, that's the guy I want to pray for me. And then he stands up, and I see the tubing on his arm. And I knew I'd chosen the right one. Thomas Merton, I'm not going to read the whole prayer to you this morning, but Thomas Merton has a famous prayer. You can go look it up, but he says, essentially he says in the prayer, he said, Lord, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I'm heading. I'm confused about a lot of things in life. Uh, There's a lot of things I don't know, but I do know that I have the desire to please you, and I know that the desire to please you ultimately is what pleases you. And I'm frightened and scared about all kinds of things. And I do walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But I know that you will never, ever let me go. And that you are always with me. And so I will just always trust you. Maybe, maybe I don't know what's going on in your life. Maybe that's just all you need to say this morning is, you know, Lord, I I just don't have it figured all out. I don't have all the answers, but I'm not ever going to leave you because I've learned that I can trust you. And I know that in trusting you, it does please you. And that ultimately in pleasing you, I will have what I need. To embrace all that life is and that you will give me the life that I need. And you know what? That's a prayer that Jesus loves and will always answer.